Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Messy Table, an ordinary space for real women, imperfect stories, and the God who's at work in our mess. Yes, even over and over and over again. Well, I am Jen Jewell, the host of this faith-fueled conversation-style podcast, which typically airs a new episode every other Tuesday. However, we wanted to get this particular chat into your hands and ears a few days early because it matters and it's important, and we all need reminders of both truth and love as much and as quickly as possible. So to cut to the chase and let you know where we're heading, today's episode is one about the very real issue of racism, justice, and the heart of God. So wherever you are and whoever you are, whether you're black or white or brown or purple, whether you vote red or blue or somewhere in between, we are honestly so glad you're here and we can all learn from each other. I do want to point out a couple of things so we're all on the same page. One, this is a conversation between four Christian women. So if it's your first time here at the messy table and you're not really sure what we're about, or maybe you believe something else and that's fine and you're absolutely welcome here. But just so you're not surprised, the Bible is the lens in which we are viewing the world, including history and current events. And two, I am a white American woman interviewing three of my incredibly bold and brilliant and beautiful friends who have each previously taken their precious time to share a piece of their story here on the podcast, who each have vastly different perspectives, who grew up in three very different states, who happen to be black, brown, African-American, whatever term you prefer. So in today's episode, LaTanya Pratt, Sharon Hester, and Stacia Malone are intentionally and courageously wearing their heart on their sleeves, y'all, even when they don't have to. They are choosing to share some of their personal wounds, personal experiences, as well as personal revelations. So guys, I love and respect and trust these women, but of course, they don't represent all black women, and I don't represent all white women. This is merely one conversation not an all-inclusive view on everyone and everything everywhere, but one conversation with three different voices. And the truth is, all of our perspectives are limited. All of our perspectives are incomplete, which is why God designed us to need each other and hear from each other and learn from each other. Even though we are and will always be works in progress, even as we attempt to untangle this crazy yet still beautiful world. So I know you will be gracious listeners, as you always are, and that's really what this is all about, an opportunity to listen. In John 17, one of Jesus's best friends, John, recorded an intimate prayer between Jesus and his father, where he said, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for those who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one. And he goes on to say, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Y'all, those are powerful words spoken from the mouth of our Savior over 2,000 years ago about us. And we know from Scripture that it's love that unites, a love for God and a love for each other. So the four of us had this conversation via Zoom over multiple time zones. So if you hear a glitch every now and then, that's why, just a heads up. And this conversation is longer than usual, but we figured you are big boys and girls and you know where the pause button is if you need to use it. And so here we go. Grab your coffee, pull up a chair, and join us at the messy table. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> well, I just want to say a massive thank you 
for taking the time and effort to have this conversation, to share your perspective. We recognize that this is one tiny conversation that's joining a slew of other voices, of other ongoing conversations, but together they really can make a difference. Yeah. So as we dive in, first, just give us a little introduction. And then also, I would love for you to share how you are just doing and processing and feeling with all that's been happening really for years and years, but especially right now. Who wants to go first? Right. Well, I'll go first. Uh, my name is Sharon Hester, and I'm originally from Georgia. I live in a town outside of Atlanta, Georgia, and then I moved to Oklahoma briefly about three years ago, and I've been in New York for two years. Mm-hmm. So it's been a little bit of a journey. Um, church led us through all of those moves. I'll, I'll say that I've been married for 20 years in July and I have three children. Their ages are 15, 13, and 11. So teenager power over here. And, um, <laughs> Girl, you are in it. Yes, in it. But I would say, you know, with that, they're old enough to have some conversations about the social issues that are going on right now. And mm-hmm. that's probably the reason why I have to uh, speak firmly about certain things because they're hearing me, they're watching me. So right now my feelings are, uh, you know, honestly, I've been angry that in this season, my daughter is marching with me for the exact same thing they were marching for in the sixties. It's, it's the exact same thing. And so when I went to my first march, just being out there, I felt like, God, how, how, how is this 2020? And never in a million years that I feel like I would be in that same space um, with that much energy, anger, compassion, seeking understanding, and uh, just fighting for justice. And then at the same time, a little upset to that the Christian community isn't on one page about how we should approach this and how we should view it. So I would say that's how I'm feeling in a nutshell. And um, I'm excited to be a part of this conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, I'll go next. My name is Stacia Malone and I'm married to Jake Malone. We don't have kids yet. We live in Oklahoma, but I was raised in Waco, Texas and moved to Oklahoma maybe I think about 14 years ago. So I've been here since then. And currently, well, you know, this journey has been kind of like a roller coaster. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, you know, like the dread that you feel or some of us feel when we're on a roller coaster where we're like, oh gosh, I don't really know how this is going to turn out. Um, So it's just that dread, but then there's ups and there's downs and there's good conversations. And then there's conversations that are really confusing to me that I've had with friends and other believers and Um, It just goes up and down a lot through the last couple of weeks. And my empathy level uh, has always been just like really high (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, to the point where like, it's just kind of overwhelming sometimes. And so that's been really hard to see such hurt in black people, such hurt in white people, the people in between that maybe even right now don't even feel like they have a voice in this conversation. It's just been a lot. So it's been a roller coaster. Lately, I've had way more hope though. Just the amount of conversations that I've seen, that I've heard, that I've gotten to be a part of this, it's just brought me a lot of hope thinking like things are going to get better. Things are going to change. People are receptive. People are open. And I'm hopeful and grateful um, for that to just 
push the mission forward um, mm-hmm. with the conversations that are happening. So, mm, yeah. Well, I'm Latanya, and I am so excited to be here with you all. I am married to my Bahamian Boothang, Ken Bon, and I always get how many years I've been married mixed up, and Jen knows why, and that's for a whole nother podcast, but um, (laughs) I don't remember. It's just been so good that I can't remember, Um, and we have three little chocolate drops, Holden, Kaizen, and Crew. They're four, six, and eight, and I'm from Oklahoma. I grew up in Edmond, Oklahoma, moved to Tulsa to go to ORU, and then I never left here except for one year when the church moved us to Florida, and we came running right on back to Oklahoma, so that's a little bit about me. Um, My heart right now, so one I'm kind of like you ladies, like I have so many emotions running through. So there's one piece of me that's like, I've been black for 36 years. So I am in complete shock when people are like, I never knew this was happening Mm. because I'm like, oh, Mm. well, I thought you knew we were all just pretending like we didn't see it. So good to know. (laughs) So it makes me feel a little better. And then of course I hurt because I'm raising three little chocolate drops that I think, I mean, they're my world. So I would think like they're the cutest little things in the world. And I want you to think they're the cutest little things in the world, but when will they not be the cutest little things in the world to you? But then I'm so hopeful because look at all these conversations that are happening. And with just a few protests, look at the change that's been made and look at where we can go. And then I'm also scared that one day all of this is going to come to a huge halt Mm. and our conversations will end. And then we will pause and then we're right back in this cycle again, Mm. where people feel like they're not being heard, where people don't understand what's happening and people are shocked. So I'm just a souffle of emotions right now, but I'm (laughs) overall hopeful and excited about this conversation and about what's happening in our world right now. Mm -hmm. It's exciting to me, actually. And so as women of color born and raised in America, what have been some of your personal experiences, whether big or small, when it comes to experiencing racism or discrimination? Um, so this is Sharon again. And uh, some of my experiences are, uh, well, it's interesting because some things are very overt, but it's the very small and consistent covert experiences that I've had to the point where you have to figure out did that just happen? Or am I reading into this? Mm. One experience that my youngest experienced was at a Burger King. She was playing and they're organizing games. And then a kid comes up and puts his arm up against hers and says, I can't play with you. Um, My Nana says your skin is black and mine is white. So Mm. I can't play with you. And that was right before we moved to Oklahoma. And, um, I was so furious that like you're teaching your, you just sent this five-year-old over right. here to traumatize my child. Somewhere. And so I'm looking for who this woman is so that I may send her some nice <laughs> glares from across the room. And then I felt like, you know, it's best that I gather my children and I leave because that's best for me mm. <laughs> that I I'm out of this space. So you can still make um, it to heaven, child. I hear you. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, and I know I think another recent experience was right there in Oklahoma, two weeks after we moved there. Uh, Andalyn was on the bus. That's my oldest. And a student started to chant, when I say nigger, you say oh whatever God. it was. There's so many more. So, so many more teachers saying 
different things while my son was doing a just a presentation. She's, you know, if you guys have heard the story of Nat Turner, he led a rebellion. And um, she decided to tell him that I don't think Nat Turner ever should have caused that rebellion. So many women and children were killed. And my son said, I'd rather go die than be a slave. So the only reason why he told me is like, mom, was that, am I going to get in trouble for saying that to her? And he, what I was trying to get the teacher to understand is, as soon as you said that, my son sided with the slaves, not because he's ever been a slave or his mom's ever been a slave, it's because his skin is brown. Mm. So you, why would you give your opinion about history? Why don't you let the children do their little group work? What are you doing? And the crazy thing is the same teacher also in Georgia, I want to clarify because I've been a couple of different places, that same teacher my daughter had two years prior, she came home and she said, mom, what the Jews experienced is so much worse than slavery. And I'm like, oh yeah, how so? She was like, oh, because. Da, 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 da. I'm like, but, but how did you come to that? That what the Jews experienced is worse than what the slaves experienced. And were y'all talking about it in class? And then she was like, oh, Miss So-and-so said that it's worse. And so then I'm like, well, darling, would you rather have your skin melted off and, you know, go into a, a gas chamber and die? Or, or would you rather have your child rip from your arms and then watch your husband stretch between two horses and torn apart right in front of you? What would you rather have? Mm. And this is a conversation I had to have because a teacher decided to speak that. She was like, oh, never one. I'm like, exactly. Because those are two horrible things that happen in history mm. should never be compared. Right. Never be compared. So needless to say, we had a good conversation with her and um, especially that second time around because I started seeing that, okay, the first time around we had a meeting. I thought you were good. The second time around with my son, like, no, you're not going to do that. So I don't need you to teach civil rights at all to this child. Mm -hmm. We'll send me all the standards and we'll do that at home. And so, so those are just, you know, some experiences from us and the list goes on and on, but it's sad that people, they have the opportunity to do that because it was a majority Caucasian classroom at a very good school. She had one teacher of the year, phenomenal teacher, have nothing against her teaching skills. My kids actually adored her. They weren't tattling. Mm -hmm. They were just sharing their experience. And it's this mama that was like, yo, what? Mm -hmm. No, we're not going to teach that. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you think it was her being naive? Do you think it was her intentionally being racist? What would you call that? Well, I can only go off of her fruit. And that was shown to me in the meeting. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm saying to you that you hurt my child in any way, at the very least, empathetic. At the very least, I should see empathy. And all we were saying is you're a phenomenal teacher. Your opinion, though, cannot be interdicted. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. I said, because immediately what you don't realize had to happen is my son is saying to me, so mom, who is Miss Ford? Is she for the North or is she for the South? Right. Now I got to have these conversations. <laughs> now I got to cover you because if my son goes to class thinking that you're for the South, it's a whole nother issue for you. Mm -hmm. So now you making me have conversations that I shouldn't have to have. You're making him question you in ways that I don't think you really want to question. And to that, she said, ah, 
I, you just want me to not teach with passion. And I literally. That's not what I'm saying. Not at all. And that let me know she wasn't hearing. She didn't have the ears to hear. Mm-hmm. And that this wasn't going to go anywhere. You know, I don't want to change the subject here, but something that you said, empathy. I think that's what I have been hurt the most by in this season. So Sharon, thank you for sharing that. This is LaTanya. Social media is the best and the worst thing. Like I have a business on social media and it's the best thing, but then I get to see all of your opinions on social media and then it's the worst Mm -hmm. thing, right? And then I'm trying to figure out which side you stand on. But when I had a miscarriage or when my parents passed away from cancer or when I had a friend that gets a divorce. No one says, well, sweetheart, you know, 50% of marriages end in divorce or, well, Latanya, I know your mom passed from breast cancer, but my mom passed away from pancreatic cancer. And so they don't say that. They say, I don't know what you're feeling in this moment. I am so sorry, but I am here. And what I have seen is Well, LaTanya, yes, you say Black Lives Matter, but what about these lives and that lives or thin blue line and all of this? Or we will hear, well, do you know that this many Black babies are killed? Or do you know that this is the percentage of Black on Black crime? And I think that's what hurts the most because it's like the topic of conversation right now is not whose life matters. Every life matters to Christ. Have you been pregnant? Have you seen a life born? Yes, we know that every life matters. Mm -hmm. But right now, I feel unseen, unheard, and unworthy. And all you're doing is affirming that I am unseen, unheard, and unworthy because you don't see me. You don't hear my pain. And you're trying to make it valid. You're searching for some sort of statistic to tell me that what I'm feeling doesn't matter. Whenever someone goes through tragedy, we don't go to them and give them a statistic of this is what happens. We say, I'm here with you. I'm going to get in this muck with you and I'm going to pray with you. I don't understand. I don't know, but I feel. And I think that's what hurt me the most from Christians. Like you said before, Sharon, if you're not a Christian, then you may not consider yourself a child of Christ. And therefore you don't consider yourself my sister or brother. So I get it. Right. But if you are a child of God and you don't feel a little bit of righteous anger with me because I'm hurting because I'm raising three boys, it just breaks my heart. And I think that's what's hurt the most in all of this is the statistic or the, but don't you see this? Um, (laughs) I think that's what's hurt the most. Mm. Yeah, I agree with you totally. Um, That is definitely hurt the most from a brother or a sister. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. So Latanya, you're preaching. Yeah. (laughs) Tell us about your experience. So I've had, um, experiences, of course, a lot of times because of my personality, I always want to live from a place of unoffendable. So I try to look at the situation and I try to pare it down to, okay, I am black. 
I'm also a female and that's almost a double negative, like black female in corporate America. I have so many chances to lose. It's not even funny. Right. Mm -hmm. But I try to always pare it down, but there are some things that you cannot pare down to anything else. For example, we went to Bentonville, Arkansas, and we took the boys to this museum that they have there. We decided to make a little weekend of it. If you're ever in Bentonville, there's a little restaurant called um, The Preacher's Wife. No, the preacher's son. And so you definitely, definitely need to try it out. But anyhow, so we go and we're going to get ice cream and everybody is looking at us. I swear we were like the only black people in the city that day. <laughs> and everyone is looking at us. And then finally this man grabs my arm and he says, ma'am, where are you from? And if you know anything about me and my husband, you know, I'm going to make a friend wherever we go. Don't touch me and ask me a question because we're going to have a full conversation and my husband is going to be rolling his eyes. So I'm like, hey, what's up, Tulsa? Tulsa, 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 we're taking the boys here. And he goes, um, yes, yes. Do you know that there's going to be a rally here in the square? I said, I don't. What are you guys rallying for? And he said, for gun control. And I'm like, oh, we don't have any guns. I love them. But like, we don't have any in the house. So we know how to shoot them. And he's like, okay, ma'am, the adversaries are coming. And I'm like, oh my goodness, who are the adversaries? <laughs> my husband has my children. He's headed to the car. I'm trying to figure out who the adversaries are. <laughs> so I'm like, speak to me. And he leans in. And he goes, ma'am, the KKK. Mm-hmm. I said, the KKK? Like, what? <laughs> so any normal human being is like my husband. My husband's in the car, starting the car. And I'm like, so tell me why the KKK is coming. Like, what's happening? He's like, ma'am, I, I think you should go. I think you should go. <laughs> so my husband's yanking me. I'm going. And as I'm headed to the car, I see another police officer. And he's like, ma'am, where are you from? I'm like, Tulsa. He was like, okay, carry on. Like, go. <laughs> go. And this was two years ago. This was not years ago. This was yes. just two years ago. Mm-hmm. The Ku Klux Klan. And I'm being warned that I need to leave a city <laughs> in America. Wow. <laughs> so I can pare that down to anything, being a woman, being, but I think that's going to be chopped up to being black in America. That's what I'm going to go ahead and chop that up to. And that was humbling. So, you know, I get frustrated when people are like, when do I talk to my children about this? Well, honey, I don't have a choice because as soon as that man said the Ku Klux Klan are coming and my husband sweeps us off of our feet, little Colden is like, now help me understand why we couldn't get ice cream um, because of the Ku Klux Klan. That's all he <laughs> wants to know. So I have to let him know there's a group of people that dislike us and think that we're unworthy just because of the color of our skin. You were born that way. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't wash it off. You just got to walk in the glory of God and live by the word. That's all you have. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is he was in school that I paid for. I have paid for my children to go to private school one, not because I don't think public school is good, but because most of the private schools in Oklahoma where we live, they're full of a diverse classroom. And I don't mean diverse where there are African-Americans. They're probably in a room of mostly Caucasians. And so like even my middle son, he said, mom, did you know I'm the only brown skinned person in my class? And I'm like, Yes, I did. How does that make you feel? And he's like, I just wanted to let you know because I didn't know you were aware. I'm aware. <laughs> you know. But I also pay for them to go to that school because I want them to know that when they grow up, they belong in a room of people that may not look like them. And what they have to say in that room of people that don't look like them matters because I've been in it since I was born. So this does not 
phase me. Mm. That's why I do that. But also in that same classroom where they're supposed to learn, a sweet little girl tells my son, I'm sorry, I don't play with you because of the color of your skin. This also was a Christian school. The color of your skin, like I said, I try to pare things down. I don't know what else you can mean from that. So those are painful things, not because of me. I've always been a thug like my mom, so I can handle it for me. But when you talk and put my children in a situation where I have to explain something to them, where they begin to question their worth, that's when I get frustrated. Mm -hmm. I don't want my children to walk around wondering if the color of their skin makes a difference. Mm. Yeah. And so that's what's hurt the most. Wow. So good. How did you handle that, um, Tanya, if you don't mind me asking? How did you handle that at the school? So it's kind of funny. Um, The little sweet girl was adopted. So, of course, she's had trauma in our life. And a lot of times, we all know this, hurt people hurt people. And also, a lot of times, we're scared of things because of ignorance. Like, ignorance provides fear. So if you're not around it, you don't know when you're scared of it. So the adoptive father comes to me in the parking lot and he says, um, did you hear about uh, what happened w- between your son and my daughter in class? So automatically I assume my son did something. And so I turn into black mama, like, no, no, I didn't hear what happened in class. <laughs> and what do I need to beat Colden's behind for? And looking at this sweet man, cause he knows his mom is crazy. And he's like, sir, you don't have to do this. Like you really don't know please don't say anything, you know? And so the man goes, well, apparently my daughter said that she doesn't want to play with your son because his skin is brown. And Colden was like, yeah, it's okay. I was like, no, it's really not. not." Um, But then I also had to realize how humbling is it for us to have to come to a mom that we know our child hurt. So what I try to do is overcome how you feel and think about me by living like Jesus. So at the end of the day, what's going to connect us? Jesus. What do I want them to see in me? Jesus. And hopefully that will be the common denominator for them to listen and see me. So I give him grace and I'm like, Hey, I understand we are all teaching our children something. Mm -hmm. I will say that this is a painful conversation that I now have to go have with my child. And I pray that you will have a conversation with your sweet baby. So she understands that our words hurt and that the power of life and death, it's in our tongue. And that's one of the hardest things to control Mm -hmm. in our lives. I still have an issue controlling mine. So <laughs> let's talk about it, you know? And yeah. I said, if you need my help with this conversation, let me know. Because in my mind, I always want to be a bridge. Yeah. I always want to be a connector. I always want to be a helper. Because mm. if I respond in a stereotypical way or in anger, all it does is gives you something else to hold against me. Right. And I'm not going to allow you to have that. I'm not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. And also, man, you know, talking about the KKK and Sharon talking about the chance your sweet girl had to endure on the bus. I remember when you guys first came here and you were staying with us before you got into your rental house. And I remember in ignorance saying, I don't think you're going to have to deal with that here. And how naive was that? It breaks my heart. It makes me mad. But I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't even know about the 1921 Tulsa race massacre and riots until a few years ago. And I grew up in Oklahoma, you know, and I can make an excuse and say, well, it wasn't in our Oklahoma history textbooks, which is true. And I think that's how a lot of 
can't obviously speak for all white women, but I think that's how a lot of people feel. People who are white are being shaken awake. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's not because they have ill intentions and it's not because they have all this hate built up in their heart, but it's ignorance. Mm-hmm. So good. Stacia, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Uh, so I haven't had a lot of overt racism happen in my life. My brother has had way more instances, my mom definitely. Um, I think. One thing that I, I remember from Texas is we moved from a pretty rough area to a better area, predominantly white area. We were trying to help my dad, who had a drug issue at the time, help move to a different spot to maybe help him. It didn't, but we tried. Um, but when we moved into that house, I remember uh, just a couple of days after we moved, one of our neighbors put out a Confederate flag. And I was old enough to know, like, oh, that says something, you know? So I remember like, immediately thinking, hmm, we don't belong here. Like we're not supposed to be mm-hmm. here. Um, so that's like what I think of with like mm-hmm. overt kind of racism. I think what I've dealt with more is just like the unconscious biases that people have or um, the comments that people make that they might not even realize mm-hmm. are hurtful or make me feel inferior. So um, I know when I was in college, I was dating a guy who's a white guy. And him and his friend had gotten into some kind of, not a real argument, but just like making fun of each other kind of argument, being sarcastic. And I was standing close by and his friend who I grew up with, we've known each other since we were like four or five. His rebuttal back to my boyfriend was, at least my girlfriend's not black. And I remember thinking like, Oh, that I had nothing to do with. Like, I don't even understand how that even. I could just see you like, what? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what does that even mean? Um, so like, I remember that. Um, I know one of my friends, not that long ago, we were talking about just future and um, it was before I was married, but like when we get married, when we have kids and she had made a comment about um, biracial marriage and she said that she would not let her kids, like she actually said, I'm not racist, but I would not let my kids marry someone that's black. And I was like, why is that? And she said, because I feel like it just causes a lot of problems. I've known people that were mixed um, before and they have a lot of just issues not knowing if they're black or if they're white or things like that. Well, in my head, I'm not going to try to fight you about like if you're racist or not. And I think the term racist is a really strong one and people put up a fight to say, no, I'm not racist. But I also think if you are making a decision, being prejudiced, if you are choosing things or different ways because of someone's race, then yeah, that is racist. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So like that always struck me because you hear that all the time. Like you say that you are okay with black people, but would you let your daughter marry a black person? Would you let your son marry a black person? Um, I've had a lot of backhanded compliments. I've gotten more often than not the statements like you're so articulate for a black woman, or you are such a well-spoken black woman. And I'm like, "Mm." I get that you mean that well, and I want to take it as a compliment, but I also know that you would not tell Jen, you are such an articulate white woman. They expect that from her, but it's unexpected when it comes out of your mouth. Like I didn't go to a private university and had to run track to pay for it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yes. So it's like things like that, like those kind of compliments, um, or you're so pretty for a black girl. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like I can't because you added for a black girl and I just don't understand why those things make sense in, in people's heads but it but it happens so often that it makes sense in a lot of people's heads 
I've had to watch how I react like in a grocery store. This is a learned behavior, not because someone told me to do it, but because I've realized that if I walk too close to someone in the store and their purse is out, I've had people kind of grab it and hold it a little closer and things like that. And like, I know that you would not identify as being a racist, but you holding your purse closer Mm. because I'm walking next to you. Like I, I want to, to write that out and be like, Oh, I just shocked you or it's not because I'm, I'm black, but also I know in my heart it's because I'm black and you're nervous because you don't know me. And if you knew me, you know that I'm the sweetest person ever. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that kind of reaction, those kind of comments from people, it hurts because they just don't even realize it. And I think that's the, the hard thing that it's such an unconscious issue and heart issue that people don't even realize that they need to repent from because they don't know that they're doing it. Right. Like they don't know why they're making those kind of situations. And if we stopped and, and actually thought through, like, why is it that you clutched your purse? Well, it's because you made me nervous. It's because mm-hmm. the color of your skin. Like, I think maybe people would, would think about it a little bit more, but it's just so un, mm-hmm. unconscious. So it's just a weird. But that's why awareness is so important and why we're addressing these things, because whether it's blatant, horrible, just gruesome, obvious racism, or if it's those subtleties, like it still isn't okay and it's not an excuse. And I also think I always like to dial things back. Like why, 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 why? Three times why. And now this is going to be quite dramatic approach, but you know, I'm extra, so you're not going to be shocked. But you know that scripture that's like, my people perish due to the lack of knowledge. And it's like, yes, that's talking about the word of God. But because of the lack of knowledge, we have people dying Mm -hmm. in our race. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that lack of knowledge is why people act like they do. So it's very off-putting when you say, you strike me as someone who is racist, but really you're striking me as someone who is ignorant. And I hope that doesn't sound rude, but that's what it is. Mm-hmm. When you don't know something, you fear it. Mm-hmm. Like my children, they don't like broccoli because they haven't tasted it. But when they taste it with a little cheese, it's like, you know what? <laughs> it's really not that bad because I've experienced mm-hmm. it and I've been able to taste and see that it's good. And if they would just, oh, taste and see how amazing all of this chocolate goodness is, I bet they would like us and have more experiences. But it's also like you have to put yourself out there. If they haven't had an interaction with a lot of successful Blacks or African-Americans, then they are going to say, wow, you speak articulate for a Black woman. And I don't think they mean it from like, I'm a racist and I think that I'm better than you. It's just like, I am ignorant to what is really out there. And the few people that I've been around or seen on TV, Mm -hmm. it shocks me. And so I would encourage other, and even like what you said, you know, Jen, I never heard of the Tulsa race riots. It's not spoken about in our Oklahoma history that every child has to take. Which is crazy. Juneteenth, I am shocked. First of all, I will say that I know about Juneteenth because of, you know, college trying to date a Kappa. So that might be not okay as well. But um, I'm shocked that people are just hearing about Juneteenth celebration. And once again, it's just the ignorance or the lack of knowledge why people react and, and do the things that they do. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I like that you said that because as Sasha was talking, it made it reminded me of this happened so many times to the point where my children were keeping track and and I didn't know they were. And they started asking us about it. Like, why do they always say this? So we would be out to eat. And if my whole family's there, that's my husband and the three children, and we're out to eat. It never fails. It didn't matter where we live. This always happens. They'll just say, oh my goodness, your children are so well behaved. Or man, it's so nice. This one guy, we were eating dinner for my daughter's birthday. And this guy got up from the table and came over and just was like, I just want to say your family is so beautiful. And it's so nice to see you being such a good father. He he eyeball zoned in on Travis, you're being such a good father. And you're um, I just love your interaction with your children. And while that's great, you know, it's a compliment. <laughs> it's like, you got up out of your whole seat and stopped your meal to come over <laughs> to compliment my husband on his fathership, you know? And so again, what made it obvious was that my son was like, mom, why do people always tell us that? Do they tell other people's kids that? Other people, other families? And so then I asked one of my Caucasian friends, I was like, when you go out and all of you are out, have you ever been told that your kids are so well-behaved? She was like, no, that's weird. And that's when the perspective changed for me, you know? So I think it is what you said, Tanya, for sure. Um, Ignorance, and that's definitely a good way to look at it Mm -hmm. um, and a good way to also give grace Mm -hmm. and um, approach it from a more positive aspect versus walking away, being offended. And we weren't, we always felt like if somebody was brave enough to come and talk to us, they're probably the same type of person that's open to a conversation. Yeah. So while it was good, it mattered when my son was taking notice Mm -hmm. that we're always being um, told this uh, when we're out together. So how do you think that we can combat that ignorance? And I guess before you answer that, let me just say, all three of you are a safe place for me where I can come and I can say, okay, I want to ask you about this. And I know that you're going to not judge me and you're going to give me an honest answer, but I probably say some stupid stuff, but I know that there's grace involved in that conversation. Yeah. So how do you combat that? Do you need to be in relationship for that? Um, I can speak to that a little bit. For me, the best approach has been out of relationship because there is um, element of safety there. So that groundwork is there. They kind of know you, they already know where you're coming from. They may even know some of your pains. And so it's just an easier start to a hard conversation is through relationship. But I don't think that has to be the only start. I think sometimes if a person will just try and it, it doesn't matter how awkward it is, if they just say that, Hey, can I just ask you something? You can have those conversations. You can create that space. Yeah, you can create that space, mm-hmm. especially if somebody's open. So, what connects people? It's always going to be vulnerability. So, if you're coming with the question in a humble manner, it's just, hey, mm-hmm. I see what's happening in our world right now and I don't quite understand yeah. it. Do you mind if I ask you a couple of questions? Um, yeah. And then, truly listen, truly listen. Don't try to, um, just think about how if someone were to tell you something sensitive, like, I think I'm going to leave my husband. Is your response going to be, um, 
no, you're not doing that right now. And 50% of, you know, it's just not that it's, well, help me understand where you're coming from. And then I'm going to speak a little truth to you with the word Mm -hmm. of God. But most importantly, Mm -hmm. I'm going to speak it to you with truth and in love. And so, um, I think that just giving a little bit of vulnerability ahead of time, listen, be open. And then when we are asked a question, we need to in return respond with truth and love. love. And ultimately that's going to be the change that kind of catapults us forward. Well, speaking of scripture, the Bible tells us that all people obviously have been made in God's image, which means that we all have intrinsic value and that's distinct from the rest of creation. Mm -hmm. And that's all of us, every single one. So we know that God's heart is to redeem a sinful world to himself and to fight against sin and hate and injustice. And that's why, like it says in, you know, John 3, 16, so many people know it, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him won't perish, but will have eternal life. So I would just love for y'all to speak to God's heart on all of this. Mm -hmm. What do we need to know? What do we need to remember? What do we need to continue to practice day after day? Well, something that I think on, and I'm a little hesitant, I guess to say it, but I, I want people to know that God is a just God and that he believes in justice and that he cares for those that are hurting and those that are oppressed. And firstly, I, I think that the word political comes up a lot and I want people to know that this is not a political Mm. thing. This is not a political statement. It can be politicized. Mm. And I get that, but I think sometimes people put up a wall to even talking about the heart of it and the justice that that people are asking for because they think that justice Mm. is a political word and it's not justice isn't a political word it's a godly word in proverbs 21 15 it says justice is a joy to the godly but it terrifies evildoers and so that is what i consistently think of like no it is a joy to the godly Mm. to speak out on justice to help those that are oppressed that are hurting that are um, mistreated that are outcast and that's exactly what jesus Mm. came to do he came and he and there were religious leaders that thought a certain way and thought that they knew what was supposed to happen. And Jesus said, nope, that's not what I'm all about. I'm about my father's business. And that's helping those that are hurting and helping those that are oppressed and bringing justice because justice is a joy to the godly. So that's what I think of when I think of God's heart and what he wants and how he wants all of us um, as Christians to relate to each other, to bring about justice within each other and within our lives and to, to be unified mm-hmm. in that too. So okay. Yes. I hear you say bring the word. That was okay. Good. And that Grab was my tambourine. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna piggyback on that um Stacia because that's exactly what I was thinking too. You know, just him dying on the cross and being resurrected was him bringing justice to us, like making it so that we are now have a separation between what we really deserve, but making it so that we have that alignment with God, you know? And so then to have our brothers and sisters who he did the same thing for all of us in Romans, Romans 12, really the whole chapter was speaking to what I feel like if as believers, we can begin to read and just process all that was shared there in terms of how we relate to others. We're one body, first of all. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them, always eager to practice hospitality. Mm -hmm. Um, 
that's uh, Romans 12, 13. And then verse 15 says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those that we mm. live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Mm-hmm. This is New Living Translation. And then the last verses, and this really spoke to me this week, um, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. So I- I'm charged with that. And everyone's charged with that to do all that we can to live in peace. And so, you know, what that looks like might be uncomfortable because we're used to ignoring that not all are in peace or that I could be a part of making others have unrest. Um, and, and I can do that. And my, you know, fair skinned friend can do that. Anyone at any point can make someone feel like they're in an unrest, you know, just by not, like you said, Tanya, approaching it with the love of God and approaching it with that we're trying to build, not trying to tear down each other, not trying to be right even. Mm. Um, because there's a lot that's wrong, but where we can unite is is with Jesus. So Romans definitely, uh, Romans 12 definitely speaks to me. And there's a lot in there that would apply to just how we can move forward and unite around his word. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, my goodness, so many things run through my mind, but I think about uh, the woman at the well and Samaritans and Jews, they don't speak. Mm. And her words are, you're talking to me. Mm-hmm. And we take a basic conversation in love for granted, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. seeking out those that are not like us, seeing those that are not like us. And so um, in that conversation, she was able to realize that someone who she shouldn't even speak to could provide healing for her. Mm-hmm. She left better than when she came. Yeah. And so when people leave us, I want them to leave me feeling better than they came. Mm -hmm. And like we go and we've said over and over, I can't speak to those that don't know Jesus. But for those of us who follow Jesus and know that our life's work is to be like Jesus, love others, love God, and to bring people along with us to be more like Jesus, then we know that the way people will recognize us is by our love. Yes. Not by our love for those that look like us, not by our love of those who think and believe like us, but by our love, full stop, period, the end. Mm -hmm. Nothing comes after that. No. Yep. They will know that you are my disciples by your love, period, moved on to a different verse. And so that's what I want us to realize, a basic conversation. I'm very practical. Yes. Basic conversation. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? And then listening, Mm -hmm. making sure you Mm -hmm. respond with love Mm -hmm. and truth. Mm -hmm. And then just like how our relationship with Christ is every day, like if we are supposed to be closer to Christ, we are spending time in his word, Mm -hmm. reading, listening, learning. That's what you should do. I keep saying ignorant and it sounds rude, but anything that you lack knowledge in, listen, Mm -hmm. read and learn and make it a part of your discipline Mm -hmm. to get to know the things that you don't know. And then finally, it's just, this is not a war between people. This is not a war between people. This is 
not a war between flesh and blood. This is deeper than that. If this was just about people, this would blow over. Yes. This is about, what is it? We wrestle not against flesh Flesh and blood, but against principalities. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So this darkness, this is evil. Everyone is trying to mince words like, oh, you're anti-police. You're anti this. No, no. I'm anti nothing but racism. Mm. I'm anti nothing but evil. I am for people. I am for people that were made in the image of God. And Mm -hmm. that is all that I'm for. There's nothing else. And people will have their agendas. But if we were to just pull everything back, the only conversation here is I want you to see me as someone who is created in the image of God because that's how I view you. And I want you to treat me like a sister or brother in Christ. Yes. There's nothing new here. Right. I think sometimes no. we think all this is new, but Satan is up yeah. to his old tricks of dividing Something. and enslaving yes. and pushing people apart. So recognizing it, I think is huge. And then I think all three of you kind of spoke to the underlying issue of humility. And there's not different sides, but just all people, all colors, like we all need to take a position of humility. And I've heard the term thrown around in multiple books, but having racial humility. Mm -hmm. And so just coming to understand one another. And then I think on the spiritual side, you know, there's something inside of all of us where we all want to prove ourselves innocent. And the truth is we're not innocent. You know, scripture says, that no one is righteous, not even one. And so I think I have to realize that in myself, that that evil can show up in my own heart if I don't allow Jesus to infiltrate it. And that's for all of us. And so if we don't take that posture of humility, or I can just speak to myself, if I don't take that posture of humility, then I am leaving the door cracked Mm -hmm. for something that I don't want in there. And so it's not something that we can be passive about. Like we have to be active and intentional about it to keep I love that so much. And that's one of the points that I was thinking about is that the word is there for us to examine ourselves, you know, for me to examine myself. And if, if I find anything, you know, cause that the word is sharp. And so if I find anything, and as we're having those conversations, like Tanya said, just begin with that is real basic, real simple, but it's scary. It is. But if, if we've had that humility and we've allowed that word to examine our hearts, then we might need to come to a conversation and apologize. We might need to form some more words and act on that. And I've had to do that. You know, if I come across in a way that was unsolicited, or if um, I say something that was hard, I have to say, listen, I apologize. That did not come out the best, but I do want you to hear this thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's some parts is going to be painful, but if everybody's doing that part, and again, this is, if you're an active believer, because we're charged with this word to examine. Mm -hmm. So all the listeners that may be on the outskirts, then it's not for you get to know Jesus, then you'll get the rest of this. But, (laughs) (laughs) but, you know, for those of us as believers, we have to do that due diligence and always examine ourselves in any way, because it's just sin. Mm -hmm. It's just ugly. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and when my kids were younger, that's how I used to explain it is that I'm sorry, sweetheart, that grandma just has an ugly heart. Mm. Her heart is just ugly mm. right now and it can be helped, but right now it's ugly, it's dirty. Mm-hmm. And I would explain it, you know, in that way. And so if we're doing that examination. I think 
um, conversations can go really well. Right. Okay. So some practical questions as far as educating others, you know, I would never lead a tour through Australia because I've never been to Australia and I know very little about the history and the topography and the culture of that country. Um, So maybe that's a horrible example, but in general, and especially for Caucasian listeners, what should we be thinking about and processing? How can we join this fight to be anti-racist? What subtleties need to be addressed that are often overlooked? Like just what do you want everyone to know? I know that's a bazillion questions, but just overall, what do you want someone to know that is listening, no matter what color they are, but especially I would say um, those who are white. Hmm. That was good. I'm I'm pulling down my like, you know, those little scrolls. I'm like, <laughs> what do I want you? Um one, I want you to remember that yes, I am black and I am proud to be black because God made me that way. But guess what else? I'm not only black, I am a mom, I am a business professional, I am a friend, I am a sister, I am a daughter. So I don't want to be defined by one thing. Two, I want you to realize that I have done my due diligence to surround myself with people that don't look like me, that don't think like me, so I could better educate myself. And I would appreciate it if you stepped out of your comfort zone and did the same. Because every time you step out of your comfort zone and you learn a little something more about someone else, we begin to realize that what connects us is so much stronger than what divides us. Especially if we're Christians, we're going to realize that the blood that runs through our veins is the same color as the blood that runs through your vein and everyone else. And that's the big thing that I want you to know is skin color is one thing in the grand scheme of things. And then finally, I just want you to care that I may be in pain, that I may be hurt, and I don't need you to fix it. I need you to be a friend. I need you to be a listening ear, and I need you to care. And I think that's it. That's so good. That's so good. Yeah, and you know, going back to our word empathy, uh, you know, the story that comes to mind for me, I think, is when we're quick to hear a situation about, like you said earlier, Tanya, someone hurting. Our response is a certain way. Uh, it's really simple. It's effortless. It comes out. It's natural. And so, examining why, again, you know, why is that there? Why is there a hesitation to? empathize on that level. And I think about the story of David when he was in some trouble and Nathan, the prophet came over to him lovingly and was just like, let me tell you this story. And so right off the bat, David's like, oh yeah, this is what should happen. And then Nathan's like, no, but you're the man. Mm. So what we have to find a way to think about if that was my husband, you know, shot while jogging, if that was my son, I, I, I don't, feel like that's hard to do Mm. I I just don't feel like it's hard to do correct me if I'm wrong Jan but Mm. it doesn't matter the color like erase that your son's down eight minutes 46 seconds right Uh, regardless what he's done in his past it doesn't matter he's wrong he's down eight minutes 46 seconds you know it could have been my child my child could have 
stolen something and was running even from the police. But he's down eight minutes and 46 seconds. That's all it took for me, you know? And so having that level of empathy, whether they have to visualize their child being hurt or harmed or something like that, that um, level of empathy. And again, if you don't have friends, you scroll down your social media and your list is mostly one color. You know, it's not a fruit salad. It's all strawberries. And you know what I'm saying? Then you can do something about that. That's easy. You can do something about that. Even if it starts with following a few people, not entertainers, but only, but following a few people that are maybe speaking truth about this movement that could be a little confrontational for you or, you know, just something like that. Take out your phone. If you scroll through and you can't find another uh, color even, then that's something you can pray about. I was super strategic. I did the same thing Tanya did in terms of where my kids went to school. But nevertheless, I want them to be resilient in all environments and I want them to be able to learn and grow. But, and not saying that a Caucasian woman has to do that, but you have to think that most African-Americans have already had no choice but to submerge themselves in the culture. We have no choice. Mm -hmm. We actually have to be strategic as African-Americans to patronize African-American businesses. And we have to be strategic, you know, even if it's bad, if it's go to a black doctor, um, take your children to a black doctor, take your children to um, a hairstylist that's African-American for the experience, like get out of the bubble of just a strawberry plate and make your life more like a fruit salad. And you never know what kind of friendships will form out of, out of that. And like I said, I've, I've specifically prayed God, I want white friends and not just white friends that I know that I say I know, but my kids can spend the night over there that right. we can hang, hang, you know? And then when that happened, I moved on. God, I want, you know, a Native American friend, Lord. I need, I need that. Because why did he create all of this glory for us to yes. segregate? So that's what I would say yes. um, to any listener out there, stretch. That's good. Mm-hmm. And I think um, just even being really transparent with my own life, like I have been in a predominantly white area, like grown up in predominantly white churches, like schools, everything. And so I have just grown accustomed to that. So even me now looking through everything that's going on, I was praying, you know, Psalm 139, was it 23? I think search my heart of God, just like you were saying, Sharon. And I realized like, I need to get out of my comfort zone as a black woman. Mm. I need to get out of my comfort zone. And so one of the first things I did was look at my social media and like, oh yeah, I follow predominantly white people because it's just, it's easy. Like when you're looking at who is suggested, that's who's coming up. So I didn't make a, a thing at going through and figuring out who are people that look like me or who don't look like me, but who are not white, um, like everything, all colors, who are people that I'm listening to? And so even me as a black woman, like it's not just for white people, it's for all of us to get out of our comfort zones and to see how the Holy Spirit can speak into our lives and change things. I've been reading way more about um, systemic racism, because that term has come up so much. Mm-hmm. And I inherently knew what it meant. I just didn't know like the research of, of what it meant. And so now I'm looking at like, okay, so, mm-hmm. you know, our educational system, I was like, how has just the, the struggles from years 
past infiltrated education and infiltrated our finances and infiltrated Black businesses and what can I do to help with that? And I think that's something that we can all, whatever color we are, look at too. Like, how can I pray for the right relationships? Like you were saying, um, Sharon, pray for God to bring in people that don't look like me, but also use that relationship to bring restoration. And I think that's a a big thing because right now I'm nervous that there's going to be a lot more relief efforts. So people saying like, I'm going to give to this organization or I'm going to, you know, do whatever to try to help right now. But there also needs to be more consistent work to bring restoration. So like, how do I get involved in the educational system of a, you know, a district that's not right here with my kids who are in a predominantly white district? Like, how do I put money back into that? How do I become a mentor? How do I do big brother, big sister, or junior achievement and help kids that don't have a lot of financial literacy get better because if they don't learn right now as a child in an educational system that's not really set up well for them, then they're, they're just going to keep on repeating the same mm. thing. So even looking through different areas of our communities of how we can get more involved. And that does, like you said, make you get out of your comfort zone, yes. but it's worth it because I don't want these same conversations happening when my kids, when I have kids and they're older, like, I don't want that. So I need to figure out now, God, what are you telling me? What are ways that there has been systemic racism and how can I just do a little bit, Mm -hmm. a little bit to get more relationships Mm -hmm. to bring restoration in those areas. Right. So good. So I know there's been plenty of hard and this is a continual conversation, but in addition to all of the challenges, what positive progress have you found to be encouraging? I keep saying it, the conversations, um, the fact that so many eyes have been opened Because I, like I said before, so many people are shocked that this is a thing. And as the conversations are being had openly, you can't help but to look at yourself and say, am I doing something? Am I thinking something? You can't help but to do that. Even myself, of course, you can look at social media and see what someone is posting. And I'm like, so what does she mean by this post? You know, and then it made me search my own heart where it's like, we live in America. We have the right to actually believe different things. We have the freedom to think and, and, um, have conversations and even a bit of an argument and tip about things that we don't agree on. That is a freedom that we can't take lightly. So I've had to check my heart and realize that one, thank the Lord that whenever God decided to die on that cross, he wasn't like, I'm only doing this for the people that accept me. If they don't accept me, you know, ain't no need for me to even get up on this cross because I know some of y'all not going to say, you know, you're not going to do it. He died for our maybes. We would get our life together. Our maybes, (laughs) you know? And so there's a girl that I listened to and I listened to her because I'm encouraging you to listen to people that don't think like you. Y'all, she'd be trying to take all of the Bible that I have read and throw it in the trash. She just tries to come to my life. (laughs) I listen. Because I want to understand what, what does she think? And I'm also open to the fact that one time I was wrong back in 1980s, or, or actually 83, because that's when I was born, um, back in 1983. So I might be wrong today, you know, yes. but I'm open to that. And I want you to be open to listening to someone that's who doesn't right. sound or think like you. That's right. Um, and then the second thing is 
you know, whenever that George Floyd, and I don't know him as a person, whenever, you know, he had the knee in his neck, people wanted to talk about his background. This is what he did before. Yes, he was. He was probably a liar, a thief, a no good, good for nothing. And me too. Girl, that's what I said. And me me too. too. I have to be scared about Santa Claus every Christmas. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm so scared. Yes. Right? Yes. Guess what? We all are sinners and come short of the glory of God. And that is in the Bible. So P.S. I'm talking about you too. You too are a sinner that have come short. Mm -hmm. And thank God he doesn't look at us like that. And so I think that the good from this is one, I'm getting in my Bible even more digging in, Mm -hmm. learning like, God, where can I be the change? Mm -hmm. Lord, what are you trying to teach this world through this? And ultimately, every time I open my mouth, I get to point people to Jesus. So yes, we might be talking about black and white, but guess what? The Bible said, Jesus said. Yes, we might be talking about violence, but guess what? The Bible says, Jesus said. Mm -hmm. So if every time I get to open my mouth to talk about this subject, I'm pointing someone closer to God and closer to the word of God, all is good in my world. Mm -hmm. All is good. So the conversations and the ability to point people to Jesus Mm-hmm. can't ask for much more. So good. Um, for me, what has been really positive and shocking and encouraging is that a couple of weeks back, open up that Amazon app, open up Apple, and I'm seeing Black Lives Matter everywhere. When I say that gave me so much life, I'm like, look, baby, the recognition. And while that was little and while that was small, to me, again, I'm seeing that If they're bold enough to do that, that's a level of boldness that hadn't been there. So if they're bold enough to do that, if they're bold enough to say Amazon Prime, look, all the Black movies are free, okay? You have no excuse. Mm. Get you some Selma. You know, get on there. Malcolm X, if you want to, whatever it is. It's some options, and they're free. That thing said zero dollars and zero cents. I was so happy. (laughs) And I love that the Amazon president even was even bolder, took it a step further. He got letters upon letters, hate mail, and he posted one and it was good. I'm like, this man posted this whole letter, scratched out my good buddy's name. Oh, he should have just left the name. And that's what everybody said was like, by the way, what's John's last name? I just want to check out. We not ready to know John's last name. But somebody put it in the post. Oh, they know. It's not. It's not. He was coming for his own. I'm not shopping there anymore. As soon as I saw Black Lives Matter, as soon as I saw how much you donated, the niggers, da 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 da, they don't need. It was awful. Excuse me for saying that. He can take that out, Jim, if you want. But, um, <laughs> but that's what the letter said. And he said, you just lost a customer and he's going to make sure that, you know, you lose more customers. And the owner just responded with, you are a customer. I am happy to lose. Yes. <laughs> and so to me, it's that I'm excited. That's been positive to see. I'm seeing a level of boldness that hasn't been there. And I think, too, that they're uniting with other people's boldness. So whether they're looking over and be like, oh, OK, that's what they did. Let me do this. And um, even the little things like the blackout on Tuesday, you know, Jen and I, we, we talked about that and everybody was doing their little. Even that was encouraging. 
Um, while I know that's super easy to do, put your little black square up. We want you to do more than that. And my hashtag has been on many posts, amen with action. Okay, that's great. But let's- I like that. Yeah, I'm like hashtag amen with action when I'm seeing action actually taking place. And so um, I just don't want the church people to be left behind this movement that's already happening. The corporations are getting that. Those are huge, bold moves that- we can't be left behind not making those also courageous moves, whatever that looks like in our circles. But that's been super encouraging to me. I was going to say the same thing. Like, basically, I think that racism is repulsive, but it's starting to, to seem and to feel repulsive at large mm. because we always knew that. But I think other people are starting to realize, like, it's not OK. These statements are not OK. And you know, I don't really love conflict at all. <laughs> it's, been, it's been hard, you know, and even like when people make comments and then there's repercussions on it, people are losing their jobs for yes. saying things that are racist. And in my head, like I hate it for them, but I also love that it's becoming repulsive. Like it's something that just should not be around. It cannot be around anymore. And so I, I love that, that just so many people are jumping on board and there's the outliers on either side that are sure. <clears throat> so extreme that I'm like, I don't want to be a affiliated with you because I don't want people to think that everybody's like you but there's also the other side of things where people are you know angry that this is happening that there's this movement that is jumping up again because it's always been there it's just it's so much in the people's phones and people's internets right now but I love that it's just such a repulsive act Mm -hmm. and that people recognize that and they're taking repercussions for it so Mm -hmm. I love it yes yeah So a lot of people have questions about kids, having conversation with kids. And I know LaTanya, Sharon, we have discussed that that in itself is a privilege to say, when should I introduce this idea? Um, And specifically, let me give you a story. A friend of mine was saying that her four-year-old daughter has a precious bestie that's brown. And she's like, I just don't want to introduce this idea into her mind that she should think of her differently because it's just not there. And it's so beautiful. But I know that we have discussed that for you, that's not always the privilege that you have. It comes up, like you said, at a playground. Hey, I can't play with you. So all that to say, how can we talk to our kids about this topic and sharing your kids are teens, Latanya, yours are a little bit younger. I would just love to hear from both of you um, to speak into that. So my kids are younger. And I've said this before, just like in any hard conversation, you have to have it because you want to be the one to control the narrative. And I always joke about it because I want to bring it back to something that you can connect. I have three boys and boys are nasty. They're just disgusting. So, you know, they'll be quick to say like anything, anywhere. And crew decided to tell us at life group one day that his booty was itching because he can't wipe it. Well, (laughs) he didn't just tell me that he told that to everybody. Well, that's a conversation. One is like, we don't do that. Like, we're the Prats, okay? We are the Prats. <laughs> we don't. Talk about the we, <laughs> You know what I mean? We have dignity. Okay? Crew, you need to quote our family mission statement right now. Exactly oh, right. No. What is the family mission statement? Put it right now. It's in the corner. Sit down somewhere. But, so we had to talk about that. But we also will have to talk to them about sex. And I guarantee you, I am not in any type of way ready to talk to my kids about doing the doggone thing right now at four, six, and eight, okay? 
But what they do need to know is their body is a vessel from the Lord that they need to honor. No one should be touching your body right now, but you. And sometimes Dr. O'Sullivan, when mommy is there, (laughs) that's it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you have that conversation. So it's a small drop and then they get a little bit older. Like Holden, he wants to know, so how long did you and daddy date? So we sit down and we have a conversation about how long we dated. And then Ken Von tried to tell my business about me being in the club. You know, and I'm just <laughs> like, this is eight. We were going too far. We about too those far. track shorts that Ken Von likes to talk about. Yes. I'm like, you tell him about when you saw me in FCA. That's what you talk about. <laughs> so um, you do it in steps and you do it with where they are. So four, six, and eight, we should be reading books and we should be playing with toys. Mm -hmm. So in the books that we have in our house, we have black superheroes. They have the black Spider-Man. We have him. We also have the white Spider-Man and it's just natural. It's not even a conversation because it's around our house so much that there's not a difference. So if you have a little girl, maybe there's some black dolls and white dolls and blonde dolls and brunette dolls. And you just play with them naturally mm-hmm. at four and six. And then you read books. You're supposed to be reading for class anyway. That's how they get those pizza awards. So you read books that have people in them that look like you and that don't look like you. And then you can even use those books to spark conversation. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times our children will come to us with conversations. And when they come to us, we don't get to just blow it off. We need to go there. So for example, Colden, hey, mommy, I wanted to know, can brown people be teachers too? Well, Colden, why did you ask that question? Well, I've never had a brown teacher. Mm-hmm. Baby, brown people can be the president of the U.S. They can be teachers. They can be astronauts. And you can be whatever God has called you to be because if he called you, he equipped you. Mm-hmm. So you have to take every conversation and know that it can lead somewhere deeper. It's a scene. But also assess what they already know. I think sometimes we like to think that our children just don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. They know, just so you're aware, that they are brown <laughs> and that you are not. Okay, now Colden, he still calls people with blonde hair yellow hair, but he still knows that their hair is different. So don't stop and think that your child is ignorant to the differences of people because they are. It's just how you present it to them, that it's beautiful, that it's accepting, that it's okay. And finally, you have to make your children uncomfortable. And when I say uncomfortable, not just with race, it's with every single person or thing that's different. We were in Chick-fil-A, little boy comes in in a wheelchair. And so my children are staring him down. Well, if you want to cut up, I'm a cut up too. So we're going to walk over here and we're going to meet this sweet little boy in the wheelchair, all of us. So they're looking at me like my mom's crazy and I don't care because you know what I am. So we go over and the first thing I ask is, what is your name? He tells his name. Now tell me, what, what do you like to do? He's like, I like to read. I like to play with Spider-Man. I'm like, Colton, love Spider-Man. How old are you? You're six? Addison is six. And you keep showing them that, look, there's more that's alike than what's different. Mm -hmm. And then you pull them out of that situation of discomfort and you get in the car and you're like, you know how you were staring at him? He probably could have been embarrassed by that because you were bringing light to the fact that he was different. How would you like it if people stared at you because of this that's different, that's that's different? I wouldn't like it. Okay, so we're supposed to treat people how we want to be treated. Is that correct? 
yes, mommy. And then we also show them that like, isn't that amazing that some of us, we walk on two feet and then God has blessed some of us to have a car everywhere we get to go. Yeah, he's different, but we're not showing pity because he's different. Mm -hmm. He gets to roll around everywhere he goes in his own car. His difference is beautiful. Mm -hmm. And God created this all differently. And guess what? That's beautiful. Everyday moments that we draw attention to differences and we make it beautiful. And it's in the everyday things that we own, like our toys and our books in Mm -hmm. which we educate. And like that's my practical mind. Just those are the ways. So good. And I guess kind of to add to that list um, are movies, you know, and you can handpick movies. Um, moms and dads can research movies with little brown children in it and um, maybe main characters even. I know that looking at the Annie that with the African-American main character and then my favorite go-to for especially younger children is Ruby Bridges Hall because she was six years old. She was six years old. She had to integrate school. I showed my daughter that, and that's where conversations came from. And like you said, it's simple conversations because they have the questions. I didn't come loaded, like, girl, let me tell you so about the world we're living in, the white people watch them you know no you're not doing that you're not saying that to them and we don't expect for a Caucasian parent to say listen so slavery let me tell you about this situation Mm. but if they watch this movie and see the experiences that the Ruby Bridges had to go through she had to be escorted to school mommy why is the police taking her to school Why are the white people yelling when she's going in? What are they saying? You know, uh, why are they angry? Those are the questions. So we started there and we stayed there. And the more questions she had, the more I answered. And I didn't interject anything more because it's not necessary for her level. But if her mind can come with a question, then we can understand it. And no age is too young. I can also say, uh, for little babies, and I'm sure some moms that are homeschool moms, maybe, or some moms that are already forward thinking in this way may have thought of this, but you can get a brown egg and a white, crack them open and look how they're the same on the inside. But before you do all of that, let them ask you questions about what you notice. And, you know, that that's a question as a teacher that we ask students, what do you notice? Mm-hmm. Once you crack them open and explain to that child that they're the same on the inside, that's an entry point for introducing a doll of two kinds Mm. that maybe not be that child's first mind to choose when they go to Walmart or wherever, American Girl doll, if you fancy. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't put any limitations on the types of dolls that mine played with. And I will go further to say, while I could readily find any kind of fair-skinned doll I wanted, long hair, short hair, whatever, I had to search for beautiful brown-skinned babies. And so some companies have made that more popular now, but when she was younger, it was really difficult. Mm -hmm. And so I think that if a parent really wants, through that creative play, you know, coupled with that egg demonstration, just helping them to see, yeah, these babies are the same, let them play, let them be friends or however, Tanya, you hit it on the head, you know, when you said you get to be the conversation starter versus having to hear some mess your child has said at school to somebody Mm -hmm. talking about their skin color is too dark or 
Why is, you know, for some of my friends who've adopted kids, why is your brother's skin brown and your skin is white? You don't want to have your child harming other children at school. So you don't know what they're picking up. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. We have to be proactive. So for those who are eager to continue learning, what other resources can you recommend? Maybe it's books, movies, podcasts, mm-hmm. something um, just to keep our wheels spinning. So good. Um, I know I mentioned um, to you and, and I've read it. Uh, White Fragility is a very good book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Woke Church mm. is phenomenal. And then this other one I have, Color of Compromise is also a really, really good book. So those are three that I would suggest that will shake you. Um, Even listening to White Fragility shook me because it did go into talking about, like you said, Stacia, that systematic racism that we don't think is underneath and underneath that and what's underneath that. So those are three that I would recommend. I have a quote here from White Fragility that I've written multiple places because I just think it was really powerful. It says, if I'm not aware of the barriers you face, then I won't see them, much less be motivated to remove them. Mm -hmm. And so I was just going to share one quote from Woke Church. Um, This book is by Eric Mason, and he says, God has no ideals that aren't actions. Mm. And I listened to that and I'm like, yes, move the people, help the people. (laughs) Um, Even for me, because it's like Stacia said, I can do more, you know, I can help in some way. What is my small way? But for sure, God doesn't have ideals that aren't actions. And so I thought that was good. Mm -hmm. When I think of resources, um, I think we all typically think of books and things like that. But I think some of the best resources are people. Mm-hmm. It is just something about a cup of coffee with the real person mm-hmm. asking real questions. Mm, that's um, good. And every time I've had a conversation with someone about this, we both left educated mm-hmm. because you can um, read something, but we can read the same thing and get different reactions or thoughts from it. Mm -hmm. So I like to hear how you think, because if I can hear how you think, I know how to better communicate my story to someone else to listen and to understand. So I want us to never take for granted the blood and the life of a real person. Mm -hmm. But um, also I have some resources for kids that I wrote down. And one is a book called Black is a Rainbow Color. It's such a good book because it's an easy read and it just talks about art, but then yet it kind of brings in the surprise of differences of people and colors and it's all art. It's all God's art. And I think that's so fun whenever you can inspire a child through something that they love like art and then they get a surprise lesson in the middle of it. And then a girl like me is still a little controversial because it talks about how um, a girl has been rejected because of her color. Mm -hmm. But you first just realize that she's been rejected at the end. You realize it's because of her color, but it's easy for younger kids to kind of grasp. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are two books that I would read for children. I also go back to just whatever you play with, make it a little more diverse And then um, let's not fail to realize that the word speaks quite clearly about how to love others and how to treat others and how to respect others. 
I love how you said um, a conversation, LaTanya, can bring um, really great resources. I had a conversation with uh, one of my friends that's a police officer, and um, that was so eye-opening to me because I realized the conversation, like, we really don't disagree on much, you know, like, we agree on so much. Mm. Um, it's just all of us being humble and listening to each other and learning from each other and realizing we have so much more in common than we do apart and how can we keep on um, working towards that so I love that as far as like having conversations that those are resources um something else I saw it on Instagram but the conversation between Christine Kane and Dr. Anita Phillips um oh, yes. I love conversation yeah just yes. because talked, she's a psychologist and so she talked about the trauma she gave a lot of history so for a while I was like okay I'm still with you I think <laughs> with you like I'm trying but it just gave so much history of what African-Americans have dealt with through the years and how they could get to the point where they are right now. So talked a lot about trauma. And for me, um, being in kids ministry for as long as I have, it really painted a good picture of how someone could react a certain way whenever they've gone through so much hurt. Um, and so that just let me have so much empathy for everyone involved. So I loved that conversation. Um, and then also Latasha Morrison, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of her and Be the Bridge and mm -hmm. her curriculum. She has a podcast, she has a book, she has a Facebook group. And I loved that because um, when you get in the Facebook group, you are just silent for three months and you're just listening and learning. Mm -hmm. And so you're seeing conversations that people are having, you're able to see just the awkward conversations and the uncomfortable conversations. And after you've been in that for a couple months, then you can contribute, you can ask questions, you can have an opportunity to just dive in more. But I love that. And I'm actually um, a girl from work asked me to be in a Be the Bridge study or group in a couple of weeks. And so I'm so excited about that because that opens up conversations with people that I don't even um, know. I don't know who's going to be in the group and I don't know what what races are going to be in the group, but I'm so excited to be able to listen and learn from them and dive into that curriculum too. So those are some great resources that I've seen and um, listened to. That's so great. Well, I'm grateful to be able to just, again, hear from you all today. Do you have one final word of advice, word of encouragement, just anything that you really want to be sure that you share before we end our time together? Um, you know, God just requires us to bring our best. And if all of us are doing that, conversations can happen, you know, and, and life change can happen. Relationships can be developed, you know? Yeah. And the relationships in itself, that unity there can move mountains. And so mm -hmm. um, we want you guys all to have conversations. Yes. <laughs> Go find somebody yeah. and have a conversation and uh, talk it out. Exactly. Talk it out. Jen, I just want to say that it's probably about 14 years ago, I was in the Midtown Life Church with my husband after being out of church. Like I went to ORU, so I was just in church every week <laughs> for chapel. I just needed a break. And so um, my husband, and I walked through the doors of Life Church Midtown. He's like, we're supposed to be here. And I was like, no, they play rock music. There is smoke. And we are the only <laughs> Black people here. You better go back and ask the Lord what he told you, okay? <laughs> and so then we go back the second day. And I don't even remember what this day was, but we go back and this cute little Ron sashays up to me and she goes, hi, my name is Jen and I have a life group that we're starting and you should come. And I was like, okay. <laughs> 
And then she texted me and then she called me and she said, just a reminder, we're having life group tonight. And 14 years later, because you stepped out of your comfort zone and I stepped out of my comfort zone, I am so blessed to call you my friend and my sister. And you have prayed for me through the death of my parents. You prayed for me through miscarriages. You prayed for me when I wanted to beat Kim Vaughn. You prayed for me when I thought they were going to send him back on a boat. Mm. And you know what doesn't ever come up? is man, I really love my white friend, Jen. Yeah. I always say, I really love my sister, Jen, and she means the whole world to me. So it's really not that hard. It's just a series of conversations and meetups and hugs and hurts and pains and prayers. And now and tears. you can ever, and tears, <laughs> and you can never get rid of me ever. I even carved my first pumpkin in your house. You did. Yes, I don't want to get rid of you. <laughs> Uh, so and I feel the same about you and love all you girls. And I'm just, I truly am grateful. And I know I, I told each of you, I was like, I'm, I'm nervous about doing this because I don't want it to look like, and you all were so encouraged and just like, who cares what it looks like? Like, we want to have this conversation. <laughs> we need to have this conversation. Mm -hmm. And it's not a trendy thing. It's on God's heart. And it's something mm -hmm. that it needs to be continued to be said. And so just thank you for, again, peeling back some of the layers of this conversation. It's a big deal. Thank you for being bold. Thank, thank you for having us. Love you girls. I love you, Jen. Well, just a heads up, all of the resources mentioned can be found in the conversation notes. You can also subscribe to this podcast for free, ad-free, wherever you like to stream, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. We'd also love to continue the conversation, so be sure and find us on Instagram at The Messy Table Podcast. And you know what? A few things you can do, a few ways you can help right now at this moment. You can text this episode to a friend. You can share it on social media. You can reach out to someone who doesn't look like you. You can ask someone to coffee to continue the conversation. And as we keep moving forward, as we gather around our own tables, as we kneel on the floors of our bedrooms, as we pray and act and beg God to grant us wisdom, to break our hearts for what breaks His, let's not forget, yes, life is messy, but God is at work in our mess. Mm -hmm.